Um, it's wonderful to be here this morning. Uh, I realized two things. Um, one, I often seem to preach around the 1st of January. I realize because our pastor takes this opportunity to travel and, and, and be with family uh, out of Texas. Um, and second of all, I often pray uh, in this season of cedar allergies. Uh, so, uh, I apologize as I am extremely affected by it. Um, I have medicated, so I've done what I can. Uh, but the word says to preach in season and out of season. And uh, for me, that means in, in cedar allergy season and out of cedar allergy season. I need, I need to be prepared. Uh, and so I, I pray this morning that, uh, that that's exactly what will happen. Um, this morning we'll be talking about uh, faith and testing. And uh, it's a tough time. It's a f- January 1st. Um, it's one of those times where we n- naturally reflect both on what did we do this past year? Where did it go? Um, or if you're like us, um, we were in another country in 2016, and now here we are. Uh, I know my family and I, uh, we, we've, we've become nostalgic, and it, it was just not too long ago that we were in Europe and, 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 uh, and serving the Lord there, uh, joyously most of the time, challenged some of the time, uh, but we, uh, here we are now. It seems like a world away. Um, and one thing that, that was impressed upon me uh, when I was in Europe, I watched the news. And let me tell you, the, the Europeans like, as we do, to show bad news. And if you get uh, news about the United States, it's almost entirely bad. Uh, it captures the attention. And it, it made the Europeans always come to me and go, what is going on in 2016 in America? I said, I don't know. I'm not there. Um, so it's not my fault, uh, whatever is happening. Uh, but I had to really think about it. I said, what is going on? And, and to be honest, as someone who also studies this country, this society as a sociologist, um, we've got some challenges. We've got some problems. Uh, no matter what politicians may say, the reality is that our society is changing. And in many ways, not for the better. Uh, and a lot of that comes down to faith and obedience. And we seem to have the willingness in America today to disobey God openly, outwardly, in many ways that we didn't in the past. And as I look back in the past, I praise God that there was a time when even those who did not know God nor believe in God understood that it was good and right and healthy to at least limit ourselves, limit our behavior, limit uh, our natural desires because it helped all of our communities when we did that. That seems to not be the case anymore. Um, And for me, one of the most important topics that I study is the disintegration of the family. And really at the core of that disintegration of the family is really uh, the, the disintegration of men. Men in America have really lost their way. Uh... And it's not just exclusive to those men who do not know God, but even those men who do find ourselves confused, uh, uh, undisciplined, uh, undiscipled about how to lead families, how to lead our communities. And we so often stumble and fall. And individuals living in their own morality, 
living in their own created world about what is right and what is wrong. We can no longer say that is right and wrong. We'll say, no, that is right and wrong for you, but for me, it's a different standard. All of that is disobedience to God's word. Even individual Christians remaking God and his word in their own image. Individual Christians and churches who openly flaunt the sin that is so specifically spelled in the Bible as okay for believers, as okay for leaders. Disobedience, testing and faith, all wrapped up. We see nowhere, well, I should say, when I turn on the TV, I see nothing but disobedience to God. Uh, now, of course, that is not the sum total of our society. We are be, uh, being obedient here this morning by coming and gathering. But at the same time, there seems to be a lawlessness, a spiritual lawlessness that is growing and increasing in our country. And we need to be aware of that. We need to be cognizant of it. We need to be praying about it. And we need to not fall into it ourselves. And so this is a, an, an important time, I think, in the life of the church that if we are faithful to God's word, if we are faithful to the test of the times, God will bless us by his presence. God will bless us by the joy that comes with living the abundant life in Christ. It may not be so joyous outside of the body for many, and it may be hard times for many of us, but we can live that joyous life through obedience and faith. And I think our scripture reading for today that I would like to preach to you this morning, really emphasizes one of the most important pictures of a man tested in a time of lawlessness to be faithful, to be obedient, even if everything seemed to be upside down. And uh, for a lot of us, 2017 will seem to be an upside down year. Uh, and, uh, you know, with the Cubs winning the World Series, we've already begun, uh, uh, you know, to, to not understand how the world works. Um, I said that hoping that one of our, our brothers here who is from Chicago, he's not with us, but uh, you know, he's, still, he's still flying high, and I, and I, I adore that. Um, but would you turn this me, the, uh, would you turn uh, this morning with me to Genesis 22? Uh, if you have one of our uh, chair Bibles in front of you, that is page 16, Genesis 22. We will be reading verses 1 through 19. And um, also, if you do not have a Bible, this is a, we would love to gift you this first day of the new year with a Bible. So please do take uh, uh, the, any, any chair Bible that you have in front of you if you would like one. If you, if you know somebody who doesn't have one, take it. Give it to them. We have more. We buy them so that we can give them away when the need arises. So please, um, if you'd like to have two in your home, by all means. Uh, but if you can, you can also give a little bit of money back. Um, for, the, for the blessing. Um, page 16, Genesis 22, the word of the Lord. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. 
Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham lived at Beersheba. The word of the Lord. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, your voice, which calls out to us. Lord, we thank you that we can come and prepare our hearts. And Lord, that you are present through your Holy Spirit in us and among us. Lord, now we pray that your word would be clear to our hearts, open our eyes, open our hearts. Let our ears hear what we need to hear for us. And let the words of my mouth, Lord, and the meditations of my heart be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. In Jesus' name, amen. What a wonderful, difficult picture this text is. As someone who is still growing in the faith, as we all are, I pray, but as someone who was not too long ago baptized, this was one of those stories that I struggled with. So why? Why, God, this morning? And someone said, well, the faith of our spiritual father Abraham is a picture of the faithfulness of our heavenly father. I said, okay, but why? This seems too difficult. This seems a test that is out of bounds. And I want to go back to Hebrews 11, verse 1 and 2. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, for by it the people of old received their commendation. Here we have the picture of Abraham and God in this incredible test. But you and I have an incredibly different perspective than, than Abraham, don't we? We have the incredible blessing of seeing what Abraham could not see. We have the incredible blessing of knowing 
that it is God who is testing and what the results of those tests would be. So I want to begin by talking about this morning, um, God and Abraham and Isaac and this entire scene that we have laid out for us with this idea that we see something that Abraham did not see, and yet, by faith, he obeyed. How can we do no less? Well, Abraham's a special character. He's a patriarch. He's a father. Um, one of the first songs I learned after I was baptized, you may know it, Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. Um, we had a cassette tape. I know some of you don't know what a cassette tape is. That's okay go along with the story. It's a, music, it's a device that, that also gives music. We had a cassette tape, and, and my, young, my youngsters loved to hear these little short Bible songs. Rewind, play, rewind, play, rewind, play. And that song has stuck in my head over and over all these many years in a very nice way. I like that song. It's simple. I can hum it. But, well, there's some profound truth there. The Father Abraham is the father of many sons, and you and I are one of them. So let's all praise the Lord. And this story is a core reason why that author wrote that incredible song. Um, because Abraham is a unique character. Um, if I might, let's review. What has Abraham gone through up to this point in the story? You know, if you read Genesis, and I, I, again, I, I pray that this would be a wonderfully rich uh, time in the Word of 2017, and, and if you want a great way to start with a Bible plan, we have many Bible plans out there, please do take one, but I would challenge you, just open Genesis 1 and read it like a book. Just plow through it, and it will grab you, because there are some characters, and there's some events, and there's action, and there's explosions, and wait, let me, let me we saw Star Wars the other day, I, I'm confused. But Abraham has traveled and has gone through many travails. Abraham has been called out from Ur. He has seen plagues upon Egypt in chapter 12. He rescues Lot, his nephew, from Sodom and Gomorrah. He receives the promises of Isaac from God in chapters 15, 17, and 18. Isaac, uh, Abraham takes, his hand, takes matters into his own hands, and we have the drama of Sarah, Haggai, and Ishmael in chapter 16. One of those, as you're reading, you're, you're just yelling at Abraham, no, 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 no. Why are you doing that? So it's a great book, this Genesis. We see the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah and the incredible rescue of Lot by divine intervention. We see Abimelech take Sarah and God closing the womb of Abimelech and his household. Abraham has seen all of these things. Abraham has been walking with God Abraham has spoken to God, and God has spoken to him. So he is a man uniquely positioned to be tested, tested by God. The first point today I'd like to lay out is, as we think about this test, first of all, number one, God is sovereign. Let us remember this. God is sovereign over all things, and God is sovereign over this test. And at the outset, I do want to say, let us not be confused. This is a unique test for a unique man in the Bible. This is not common. This is not something that God does ever again. So the struggle I had in saying, well, how could God ask this? Needs to be I need to be reminded that God is sovereign, 
But this is something very special we're getting to see here. The development of the faith of Abraham, the testing of the faith of this great man who has walked with the Lord, that is not a test that the Lord will use on us. Not the same way. But testing will come. But this is a unique test. So when somebody asks you, like, how can you worship a God? I said, first of all, we know one thing, and that is this was a unique test. And really, what was the test? Was the test the order or the outcome? Was the test the obedience or the outcome? The test is not the outcome. The test is not about slaying Isaac. You know why? Because Isaac was not slain. It's that simple. We need to be reminded of that fact. God never intended Isaac to be slain. He makes provisions for the sacrifice that Abraham is called to make. And Abraham fulfills that sacrifice, but it is not by Isaac. So we need to remind ourselves of these truths uh, that this is not about the slaying of a child to worship God. This is about the obedience of a man who trusts God with all of his heart. And so that helps us make sense, I think, of this test. Um, in, in, in verse 12, we see that God reverses the command and the test. God is ready when Abraham obeys to complete this event with Isaac being spared. And there we have the famous ram in the thickets. The lamb is there. God has made provision for all of this. So you and I need not worry about that. Yes, in Exodus we know that God does not no long, says in his word we, you should not sacrifice children. <clears throat> um, and some commentators have said and, and this is true you should not sacrifice children to Molech that is no God. But God is sovereign even over our own lives. And this may or may not be helpful but it is a good reminder that if God calls us to sacrifice our lives he has that right. He is fully within his right to call for our lives and to call for the lives of others. Um, but that is not what happens here. Right? Just, but as a reminder, you know, as David Platt famously said, Americans, we have no rights. God has all the rights. Okay, let us be reminded of that. Um, but that's not what this is about. <clears throat> God is sovereign over this test, completely in control. Never was Isaac to be harmed. And God is sovereign over Abraham himself. And, and there are many things. First of all, he says to Abraham, I want you to sacrifice Isaac. And immediately, Abraham, obviously as a father, must have been gripped with fear, gripped with confusion. You want me to sacrifice Isaac? But wait, he is the one you promised. You made miracles happen so that we could have him. You've protected me and guided me, and Isaac is here. And yet God is sovereign over him, and he says, I know who Isaac is. And he calls him something interesting in, in chapter 2. He says, he's your only son. That's technically not true. Abraham has another son, Ishmael. But God is sovereign over Abraham, reminding him, yes, I'm fully aware. This is the son of the promise. This is the son of the blessing. This is the only son 
that is going to share in the blessing I was very specific about. I know, Abraham. I'm sovereign over you. I know everything that is going on. And, and really, as I read this over and over again, God is, is one to also impress upon us this knowledge. He says, I know who he is. And he says, Isaac, your only son, whom you love. Almost like, oh, wait a minute. You just made it quite honest to me, God, that this is going to be even harder than I can ever imagine because I truly love my son. As a father with five sons, that, that phrase would hurt me the most because it would sensitize me to the incredible difficulty, the unmistakable craziness of this test. It's not just a son. It's a reminder. It's a son that I love, whom you love deeply. But God is sovereign over Abraham. God knows the test, and God knows his servant, Abraham. And he's going to lay out this incredible opportunity for Abraham to respond. So God is sovereign, point number one. Point number two, <clears throat> Abraham is obedient. God is sovereign, and Abraham is obedient. Uh, we have wonderful little pictures that the Lord has given us in this text to let us see viscerally, like a script in a movie, how difficult, how challenging, how real this is. This really happened. Abraham is obedient. First of all, he's obedient over his body. And it has been said many times, Abraham, a talkative fellow, uh, likes to argue with God, right? Uh, knows God so well, trusts God so much, is comfortable to have some debate with the creator of the universe. But here, after this command, this test, we have this wonderful, and we don't want to make too much of it, but it's there. Three days. And the text tells us that Abraham says nothing. Three days. And what is happening in those three days Abraham is, is obedient over his body. He has to go somewhere. It's not enough to say, okay, go into the next room and sacrifice your child. I'm going to give you three days to ponder this, Abraham. I'm going to give you three days to meditate and pray and reflect and argue and get angry and come back. Wow, God, really? It'd be better if you just told me to do it now. Right? Don't, don't let me think about it. But God is a wonderful God who's going to say, Abraham, I'm going to let you meditate on this test. Three days, and that's exactly what Abraham does. And he says nothing. This, this extremely communicative follower of God says nothing for three days, and his head is bowed low. How do we know that? Because the text says, on the third day, he lifted up his eyes to see the place of sacrifice. What gut-wrenching, uh, um, heart-wrenching uh, feelings must have been going on as he tried to rationalize, as he tried to understand what could not be understood. And Abraham is obedient over his body in that also he has to lay, as it says in verse 6, he laid wood on Isaac. Here, my son, you're going to be part of this sacrifice. Not only are you the sacrifice from, from what I can tell, but you're going to play a crucial role in helping me get you there. You know, as a father, I would shield my child I would shield my child from anything painful, even if it was the pain that, that would become upon them. When Micah was in the hospital, 
I didn't tell him how bad it was. When my son was, was struggling in this hospital, I would give him a, a, a washed story, a, 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 a more pleasant version of what the doctors had just told me. Because that's our natural tendency. And here Isaac is obedient and he says, not, I mean, uh, Abraham is obedient, excuse me, and he says, I'm going to lay wood on Isaac. I'm going to carry the fire and the knife that will slay my son. Verse 6. And in that process, the text tells us that he binds and lays Isaac on top of this wood for sacrifice. Abraham is obedient and makes his body do what I'm sure his body did not want to do. The love of his heart, the love of his life, his son, he was obedient because of the love of his God. And he was obedient not only over his body, but he was an obedient in his mind. Because for three days, Abraham meditated and said nothing. And in his mind, I, I, I truly believe that he was worshiping in the way through this test. That he was trying to understand. And of course, our reading of Hebrews 11 opens up this wonderful truth about the conclusion that Abraham came to. But we'll get to that. And again, in his mind... This was worship, because what was the whole point of the sacrifice? Worship, right? To give God, and what is worship? Worship at its basic foundational meaning is to show God the authority he deserves. Is to show God the authority. He, that is worship. The Hebrew word for worship connotates usually bending at the knee and bowing for somebody who has more power and authority than you. That's worship. And Abraham was willing to worship. And he says in verse 5, Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship. I might have used different words. I might not have said anything. But Abraham was clear to those around him, We are going to worship. No matter what's going to happen, and I may be I the only one who knows what's going to happen, I'm assuming that I will slay my son, we're still going to worship. Wow. Sometimes I go to work and it doesn't feel like worship. And I make the mistake of letting that be known. And that's not good. That's not healthy. As you're going to work today, yeah, work's going to be terrible today. Isn't it? Am I the only one that does that? We already have set up your day quite joyfully. You wake up and say, work is going to be terrible today. And I don't have to go to work to slay my son. And here Abraham is worshiping. Abraham, in his mind, is obedient to say he's going to call this worship. And he says also something very important. I and the boy will go over there and worship, and we will, I will come again to you. We will come again to you. There's that little phrase that you have to be careful. Put that away. Also, God, Abraham says, God will provide the burnt offering. When Isaac questions this whole worship uh, uh, event, this whole worship uh, experience, and he asks his father, and God, and, and Abraham responds, we're still worshiping, son, even though I think something terrible is going to happen. He says, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering in verse 8, my son. He uses the important phrase, Elohim Jireh, God provides. 
And it's interesting, as I read this text over and I said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, comma, my son. But what if you just take that comma away? God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. It's almost like he's, he's almost telling Isaac this truth. Uh, but, you know, that's just one of the things that hit me as I, as I, as I prayed over this text. What gripping pain Abraham did as he was obedient in his mind. So God is sovereign over this test. God is sovereign over Abraham. Abraham is obedient in mind and body. Everything in the text indicates, <clears throat> excuse me, that Abraham is full steam committed to worshiping God no matter how God has called him to worship. <clears throat> Third, something interesting. <clears throat> we rarely talk about Isaac, but Isaac is obedient. Um, when I've read this story in the past without doing much thought or research, I've always pictured Isaac to be a very young boy. And many of you may know, there's probably little evidence for that. That Isaac may have been as, probably was a teenager, and the most common rabbinical tradition has Isaac at age 37. Greatly changes Isaac in this story as well, for he first of all, knows this ritual. He is obedient. He has been taught by his father exactly what it means when we say worship. We will, we will have a burnt offering. We need an animal sacrifice. Then asks him, where is the sacrifice? So Isaac knows this. He's, a, he's, he's not a boy. He's much older. The same word for boy is the same word used for servant, young servant. So if you think Isaac was eight years old, then those other two servants were eight years old. I don't think Abraham was going to be, you know, bring a bunch of eight-year-olds with him on this journey. Probably these were young men, young men. And Isaac is obedient. Isaac is bound to the wood, and we get no indication anywhere in this text. We don't want to push it too far, but there it is. A teenager to a 30-year-old. And probably figures out rather quickly, okay, there is no lamb. There is no animal today. And you're binding me. Okay, I am the sacrifice. Incredible. And this maybe gives us a better understanding as we read. Keep reading Genesis. Don't stop at this story. When you read Isaac's life, what has Isaac been through? He's not forgotten probably this episode in his life. He was a teenager, maybe a 20-year-old. He took it with him and understood something great about God. Isaac is obedient. Fourth, God is faithful. God is faithful. My sermon text was titled The Faith of Our Father, and then I'm talking about the faith of our father Abraham. But God is faithful in this story. <clears throat> as the moment of truth comes, <clears throat> and as Abraham lifts up his dagger to kill his son, an angel, the angel of the Lord calls to Abraham from heaven. Direct line from the throne of God's power and mercy directly to, instantaneously to Abraham. And God is faithful to remind us of the great importance of fearing the Lord because as we read in the text, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. 
God is faithful to remind us that there is something critically important about fearing God. Fearing God, as we know, is the source, the beginning of wisdom, but it is really the sum total of our understanding of what it means to be a worshiper. And I know the word fear is problematic in our society today, so let me help you. To be God-fearing is two simple things in my mind, is to be God-listening and to be God-obeying. To be God-fearing is to be God-listening and God-obeying because to not do those things is to incur the punishment of God, is to incur the righteous, holy judgment of God that is due us who disobey God. There's a Presbyterian pastor who wrote, uh, <clears throat> Unfortunately, many of us presume that the world is the ultimate threat and that God's function is to offset it. How different this is from the biblical position that God is far scarier than the world. When we assume that the world is the ultimate threat, we give it unwarranted power. For in truth, the world's threats are temporary. When we expect God to balance the stress of the world, we reduce him to the world's equal. As I walk with the Lord, I discover that God poses <clears throat> an ominous threat to my ego, but not to me. He rescues me from my delusions so he may reveal the truth that sets me free. He casts me down only to lift me up again. He sits in judgment of my sin, but forgives me nevertheless. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but love from the Lord is its completion. I think it's a wonderful quote that sums up Abraham, loved the Lord and feared the Lord. And to worship meant to sacrifice, even if that meant to sacrifice Isaac, for God reiterates the heart of Abraham, you fear the Lord. I know, Abraham, you fear the Lord. Abraham has not said that, but God gives us this wonderful truth. You fear the Lord. And we have the wonderful conclusion here of, of the faithfulness of God. Remember Abraham lifted his eyes up and saw the place from afar where he was sacrificed? Now Abraham lifted up his eyes and sees the sacrifice of the ram instead of his son in verse 13. And Abraham calls this place, the Lord will provide, <coughs> excuse me, Jehovah Jireh, I'm important. No longer Elohim, Abraham uses Yahweh, the Lord. Yeshua, the unique word for the God of all things. And what's interesting, I'm, not a, I'm no Hebrew scholar. You should be thankful for that. Um, but as I did research, and I, 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 I'm, I'm painfully ignorant of Hebrew, but apparently vowels and consonants are somewhat flexible in how you put words together. Depending on how you read this Hebrew word, it is either the Lord will provide, or the Lord sees, or the Lord will be seen. <laughs> Depends on how you read this word. And all of those are wonderful reminders that, yes, the Lord provides. And the Lord sees. He sees what we need. He sees our hearts. And even more as we look forward to when Christ comes on the scene, the Lord will be seen. We will see the Lord completely and fully as he is, especially 
in the face of Christ. And wonderful verse 14 conclusion, to this day it is said, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And this was as many as 700 years later as Moses is writing down these words. It is still, this story is still resonating with the Hebrews. Remember Isaac and Abraham, Abraham and Isaac, and how the Lord provided? What an incredible, incredible uh, uh, picture of God's faithfulness. So this story reveals so many things to us. God's sovereignty, Abraham and Isaac's obedience. Uh, and now I'd like to conclude by talking about what the, the, the revelation of faith itself. What has what faith revealed to us here? What did Abraham, Father Abraham's faith reveal? He believed God. Why do we know that? Abraham was not, was not always called Abraham. He was called Abram. And there's a time when the Lord changes his name to say, you will be the father of a multitude, of many. Well, that doesn't seem to be possible if Isaac is slain. But it is even my identity, it is even in my name, the truth and the promise of God. Abraham revealed to us that he believed God completely, completely. He feared God to disobey, and he believed the promises that God had laid out. But also Abraham's faith reveals to us something even deeper. Abraham knew God better than a lot of us do. For in Hebrews eleven nineteen, we get that wonderful conclusion, that wonderful detail into the mind of Abraham. Hebrews eleven nineteen states, he considered that God was able even to raise him, speaking of Isaac, from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. There's the key. Those three days, as Abraham struggled, as Abraham sought to maybe get out of this, as Abraham, his flesh and his mind and his spirit were torn between the worship of God, but also the love of his son, he comes to this conclusion, I get it. God's going to raise my son back from the life, back from the dead. It's the only logical conclusion, because that's the kind of God I worship that can even bring back life from death. Do we ever come to those types of conclusions when we're making decisions about our lives and we pray to God and we say, well, God, I, 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 you know, I need an extra $500 a month to make ends meet? This is something very different, isn't it? This is something about knowing God is much more than $500. God is about eternity. God is about testing our faith and revealing to us whom he is and whom we should want to be. John Calvin writes, The Lord indeed is so indulgent to our infirmity that he does not thus severely and sharply try our faith. So Calvin, speaking of Genesis 22, he says, The Lord knows we're pretty weak. We are no Abraham, and therefore he will not test us as he did Abraham. Yet he intended in the father of all the faithful, Abraham, to propose an example by which he might call us to a general trial of faith. We will all be tested. Amen? It is what it means to be a Christian is to seek the Lord and to be tested by faith. What did the Father, Father God's faithfulness reveal? We spoke briefly about what did Abraham's faith reveal. What about God, our Heavenly Father's faithfulness reveal? First of all, that the Lord will provide. And this is very important. The Lord provides only what the Lord can provide that is acceptable for the sacrifice needed due to man's sin. 
There is nothing, there is no animal, there is nothing we can do that is acceptable for the ultimate sacrifice needed to deal with our sin, to deal with our disobedience, to deal with our lack of faith, to deal with our lack of fear of God. It is God who gives us the ram in the thickets. It is God who makes the sacrifice. And obviously, this story, I believe, is a shadow, is a foreshadowing, is a reminder in all its many ways of the coming of the true Lamb of God, the Lamb who takes away the sins of all those who would believe and repent. The Lord is faithfulness, and it is revealed in that not only does he provide the sacrifice, the only acceptable sacrifice, that sacrifice takes the form of his own son, his only son whom he loves, his only begotten son whom he cherishes, whom he loves. The only begotten son whom he loves. The sacrificial lamb. The son who will carry his own wood in the form of a cross. The son who will be bound to that wood to take the sin of the world. The son who willingly submits. The son who willingly submits to a death on a cross and the incredible judgment put upon him for those who would repent and believe. The son who wears a crown of thorns. Some have said that ram in the thickets reminds us, maybe reminds us of the crown of thorns. That Jesus himself, when he wears that crown, thorns represent the coming of sin into the world. Thorns and thistles, they are no good. I would include cedar in that list. They are all part of the fall of our, uh, of our Father's creation, but they're also part of the plan to redeem his creation, to redeem his people. And Jesus wears that crown of thorns. He is the lamb. The Lord provides his only son who on the third day is resurrected. Who on the third day, we might lift up our eyes and see the glorious son, no longer sacrificed, but reigning supreme. This is an incredible truth. If you do not know this truth, if you do not know that we require a sacrifice because of our disobedience, because we no longer fear God after the sin of Adam and Eve, we were ejected from God's presence in order to save us, in order to delay the judgment that would, should come upon us because we no longer gave God the authority over our lives that he deserves. We no longer gave God the glory. We decided to become gods ourselves. And with that triggers a judgment that is real and just, a punishment that is as terrible as anything you can imagine and eternity worse. And yet, God creates a plan. God sets in motion through Abraham's faith of obedience here, not just a picture but a reality that one day the son will come and he will be the lamb. He will be the acceptable sacrifice perfect and pleasing to God. And those of us who repent and believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we now are called to be perfect and acceptable and pleasing sacrifices to God. We are tested every day. And that test is, will you be the sacrifice? Will you crawl up onto that throne? Will you slay yourself? Will you slay your desire to be leader of your own life and let God lead? Will you slay your desire to be an authority over yourself? 
Will you slay your desire to not even fear the Lord? This is a warning to ourselves this morning to be reminded that 2017 is another opportunity. We are here. Christ has not returned to claim what is his yet. All of it is his. We are here as messengers. We are his ambassadors. It's a new election. We have been nominated as ambassadors to the world for Christ. But we are the ones who are tested. We are the ones who need to be right with God. This is a warning for ourselves. And this is a warning, brothers and sisters, for the churches. This is a warning for the church of Jesus Christ that if we go down a path of not fearing the Lord, we will cease to exist. Again, this Presbyterian pastor wrote, our epitaph, our epitaph would then be, the Reformed Church continued reforming itself until it was no longer Reformed, nor even a church. This is a pastor who is part of the uh, Presbyterian Church, United States of America. And this pastor is retired, but he fought till the end to not let the PCUSA Church go the way of the world. And this was his final his final defense, it says, you liberal churches, you want to reform yourself to be part of the age, the age that no longer fears God, the age that is, is just increasing in pride and rebellion and disobedience, well, you will no longer be a church, and I think that is what has happened. But all churches are tempted. All churches can fall into that path of disobedience. And looking at the world, and the world is saying, this is okay now. And we say, but our scriptures say it is not. Well, tradition changes. Times change. You should change too. No, like Abraham, we will worship. We have been given the voice of God through his word. And we shall be tested. And I pray we will be found pure. I leave us with Malachi 3.3. And he shall purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. Amen. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we are thankful this morning that you have spoken to us, that you have warned us, that you have given us Abraham in your word to ponder, to meditate forever and ever, Lord, that it is through testing comes obedience and faith. And Lord, there are so many words and verses that you use throughout your scriptures to remind us that we will be tested and it is part of your plan. It is part of your glorious will for our lives. And Lord, we pray this morning that 2017 would find us ready, willing, and able to be tested in even greater ways. Lord, commit us this morning, this year, to be more fearful of you than ever before. And Lord, let us not fear the way this country is changing. Let us fear you. And if this country is changing in a way that makes us fear more, then let us triple our efforts, triple our desire to fear you, for you are over the world. You are sovereign over all things, and there's nothing that compares to you. And we pray this morning that we would joyously commit to sharing these truths with all those around us. And we pray you would bless these efforts as you blessed Abraham and Isaac unto your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.